It's my second night in Asheville, a town tucked in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I'm at the Gray Eagle, a local staple in the River Arts District. I am here searching for something that many have told me is lost forever. This is my first time in Asheville, my first time in North Carolina. I grew up in the sprawl of Los Angeles. In LA, I became obsessed with going to shows. I didn't play music, but I found my way into the scene through my camera, taking photos of my favorite local bands in exchange for a spot on their guest list. I was with the band, I was 16, and I felt so damn cool. I remember one of my first shows I shot was in a backyard in Hollywood. I still can't believe she did this, but my mom drove me to the show from our suburb and waited for me in a nearby coffee bean. I was early, so I waited on the street until a woman pulled into the driveway on a bright red Vespa and introduced herself as Robin. Without pausing for small talk, she handed me lights to string between trees and extension cables to run from the house. The lineup included a rapper from Brooklyn and a local indie band. I can only imagine how nervous I must have seemed making small talk with the musicians while I took their portraits before the set. No one seemed to notice or care that I was so much younger than everyone else. After the show ended and the guests trickled out, the rapper, the indie band, and even some of the show organizers started jamming, melding their sounds together. I smiled and watched, not participating, but just happy to be included. My mom drove me back to the suburbs that night, but I had just been in a whole new world, and I wanted to live in it. After moving to the Bay Area for college, I plunged even deeper into the music world I had tasted back home. The difference now was that the friends I made in San Francisco, who were mostly a generation or two older than me, compared everything to what things were like when they were my age. As we were setting up for a show in the Dogpatch neighborhood, one of my new friends, Dave, reminisced about the days when he attended underground techno raves in that very warehouse. Back then, it was completely abandoned and run down. Now, it's been scooped up by real estate developers and rented out to Uber. These kinds of stories always implied, if not explicitly proclaimed, that I had missed the glory days. That this world that made me feel alive and important was actually just a washed-up facsimile of the real thing. But punk rock taught me not to take an older generation's truth as my truth. I came to Asheville in search of a place that is still building its own scene, a place that manages to keep commodification at bay, a place where the weird and rebellious moments people reminisce about still exist. If my friends in San Francisco thought do-it-yourself music culture was dead, I was going to prove to them that it existed somewhere else. There's, there was nowhere to record this that was really quiet, so we're in my car in the, in the parking lot, and it's actually kind of the sauna. Yes, it's the Subaru sweat lodge. <laughs> this is Mark Hostler. Mark's a founding member of Negative Land, an experimental sound collective that started in the Bay Area 40 years ago. A year or so ago, a friend sent me a Negative Land music video, which became one of my gateways into the world of experimental music. Yeah. 
Their sonic montages of pop cultural artifacts and detritus feel so evocative of my generation's unprecedented media saturation, even though the group's living members are three times my age. I'd hear something in a track of music and I'd, it would be this feeling of, there's a universe in there. I want to go into that universe. Where, how do I do that? And at some point when I was, I don't know, 17, I, I just thought, and, I'm gonna, and, I, and I know these couple of guys and, I, and they're kind of in the same wavelength, we're going to do that. And that's what turned into negative That coming into contact with a totally separate world that Mark is talking about in music, that deep diving into something that fills you with meaning and wonder, is exactly what drove me to seek out scenes in L.A., San Francisco, and now Asheville. But we both know how difficult it is for these universes to exist. So when I learned that Mark had moved to Asheville in 2003, I had to know if he moved there in search of the same thing that drew me here. Uh, buildings and, and, and quilting and canning and, and that kind of DIY, very punk-like um, ethic of just creating your own culture, your own life, your own economy here in the mountains. The mountains here have this, have this kind of vibe to it and culture that I kind of connect with pretty well, actually. Yeah. And like I said, it felt pretty punk. But since moving out here a decade ago, Mark's noticed how Asheville has changed. He did a very good job of promoting the living shit out of it. And I remember one day being in an airport and seeing an ad in the airport for Asheville, you know, and I thought, oh, my God, you know, this is the end. A few nights later, I'm in downtown Asheville. I'm at a restaurant called Jack of the Woods because I saw an advertisement in the local paper for a bluegrass jam happening here. The music is sort of similar to what I heard the other night at the Grey Eagle, but this time, the place is packed. Every table, every stool at the bar is occupied. I quickly realize that this isn't a jam, at least not what I think constitutes a jam. There's a full band on the small stage, and a woman is roving the bar with a tip jar to support the musicians. The band is playing traditional North Carolina ballads, the kind that are usually about a man killing his wife and running from the law. The couple sitting next to me are from Georgia. They're here on vacation. They're smiling, nodding their heads to the staccato strokes of the fiddle. They order more beer. They ask me where I'm from. Am I here on vacation? Isn't this bar wonderful? I answer with a half-smile, wondering how we could have such different experiences of the same moment. I catch myself. By deciding that this couple's idea of cool is a fraud, a diluted version of the real thing, I'm doing exactly what the punk veterans have done to me. Asheville popped onto my radar when I was researching American DIY scenes for a project on regionalism and punk music. Simply put, it just seemed so cool. The way the Appalachian folk music traditions seemed to blend with more current styles, musicians I love ditching their coastal cities for the quiet serenity of the Blue Ridge Mountains. But this bar in downtown Asheville doesn't match that picture in my mind. I also 
wonder have people basically made Asheville look cool and it keeps looking cool long after it's not cool anymore mm-hmm. that's emma hutchins she's a community organizer who also organizes a music festival called radfest here in Asheville. she means that artists have created Asheville's edge which the tourism board caught on to and commodified as an advertisement creating a facade while also pricing out the very artists that made it cool in the first place Davion Bristol, also known as Spaceman Jones, is a rapper and promoter who has lived in West Asheville his entire life. His take on the tourism boom is a bit different. I don't like the tourists, but I love their money. And I love the way that they come to the city and they force all of the businesses to kind of be creative and find better ways to serve us. All right, we got to talk a little bit about the history of Asheville. It's only been a few years that we've climbed out of being a uh, uh, agricultural factory town. Spaceman recounts how growing up, parts of West Asheville acted as an open-air drug market and that there were few opportunities made available to black Ashevillians. Now that tourism has become the town's main industry, Spaceman says opportunities abound if you're willing to put in the significant time and effort it takes to survive in today's Asheville. He embodies that work ethic required to reap the rewards of this economic shift. He promotes shows all over the region, creates and performs music, works in the restaurant industry, and even leads a culinary tour of West Asheville on the weekends. But as a result of this growth, he has also seen how people are forced to leave Asheville as it has become more and more expensive. And if you're not hitting on all cylinders trying to, you know, maximize your productivity, mm-hmm. then you're going to have a real problem making it around here because it's just so expensive. you got to have a, a real drive. My city has lights, mountaintop veal in the state of first flights. The rhymes I recite hit your soul and burn bright. I was born to be the light that illuminate the night. In my conversations with locals, I'm recognizing the same tone I'd been hearing back home. A nostalgia for the days before gentrification turned Asheville into a theme park, when rent was cheap and artists had more freedom to create. I have a friend who's in his early 30s, and he tours around, plays a lot of, lot of music shows. And he said, he said, yeah, I just don't think there is a place for a younger person that, that's that, that next Asheville to move to or Olympia or, ben, ben, or whatever, you know, that, that there kind of, in a way, isn't, you know. And I mm-hmm. thought it was very interesting to think about, you know, if, that, if there's truth to that and if there is, what, in what, what does that mean? And then if it's something... If you're a person of any age where, where a sense of community, connection, culture, a sense of creating our own world, that that has value to you and meaning to you, yeah. then how do you do that in the face of all of this? Yeah. I'm walking down Biltmore Avenue on a Friday night. It is filled with tourists. Tourists like me, attracted to this place because it seemed cool. At this moment, I feel discouraged because I'm not seeing the Asheville I had painted in my mind. Am I too late? Have these gentrifying forces already corrupted the Asheville I'd read about? By visiting this place, 
Am I contributing to the explosion of tourism that prevents the very things I came here to see from even existing? I want to live somewhere where there's always younger, crazy kids moving to town who want to do crazy shit. Like, that's important to me that that can happen and that, that there's space for that. But you need affordable buildings. You need some dilapidated warehouse. Right. And when every scrap of it starts to get used up and filled up and gentrified, yeah, it's kind of gone. The woman I've been living with during my stay, whom I now think of as my Asheville mom, has been wanting to take me to the Haywood Street Congregation, a church where she goes every now and then to help out with the mural being created in the chapel. I feel very out of place in churches. I didn't grow up with religion. I did go to Catholic high school, but that just amplified my anxiety around the rituals and rules. I've never had a spiritual experience sitting in a pew. But this church is different. My task is to break down rocks of dried paint pigment the size of quarters until they become a fine powder. Then I take a glass muller to mix the powdered pigment with water. I swirl the white powder in a figure-eight motion. I know the paint is ready to use when I can no longer hear the muller grinding the microscopic pebbles of pigment. There is no binding agent in the paint because the plaster itself holds the color as it dries onto the wall. This laborious process is associated with the Italian Renaissance and most notably with the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. The fresco in the Haywood Street congregation features the likenesses of real people in Asheville. Everyone from a child who wandered into the church because he was curious about all the painting going on to a man currently struggling with drug addiction. As Asheville has become exhausted by rapid development and the coming and going of so many tourists, this elaborate fresco offers a moment of temporality and stillness and a reminder about who Asheville truly is. A musician from India is here to witness the fresco process and pay tribute to it through song. We dozen or so volunteers and artists assemble in the pews as the woman settles onto a stool, perfectly haloed by the evening light beaming through stained glass windows. The fresco, unfinished and framed by scaffolding, serves as a backdrop to the poem she begins to sing. I watch as the dust sparkles and dances in the soft pools of light. I'm not in a dilapidated warehouse or in an abandoned building. No subwoofers are assaulting my eardrums. I look at my Asheville mom, whom I have known for about two weeks. She catches my glance and we smile. It is all so random that I'm here in North Carolina, in a church, listening to a woman from India sing in front of an immaculate fresco. But I feel like I did in that backyard in Hollywood, watching musicians improvise together. I feel like I'm witnessing magic. Just to be clear, when I talk about people recounting their glory days, they are almost always white men. 
When they talk about the heyday of punk, they neglect to mention how the spaces they occupied were male-dominated, largely white, and rife with harassment. I'm at Radfest now, the music festival that Emmett organizes. A mother from Atlanta is rapping on the main stage, while a local stoner metal punk band are banging heads on the back patio. We can't just have a straight white dude lineup, because honestly, that's what many other spaces in Asheville look like. At Radfest, women, non-binary folks, and queer Ashevillians are free to create and celebrate in a safer space. We wanted it to be an event that was highlighting genres that Asheville tends to overlook. We wanted to focus on electronic music, hip-hop, rock music, dream pop, shoegaze, things that like you might see at a small venue like the Mothlight or Static Age Records, but that you're probably not going to see showcased at a festival or a large venue in town. Shows and spaces like Radfest are reclaiming the subculture, making it better and safer and more colorful. The idea of creating a world separate from the mainstream was born out of efforts by marginalized people to carve out spaces where they could come together and collectively envision and embody a society that centered their voices. White kids from the suburbs caught on and started making versions of it for themselves, but more often than not failed to make their spaces safe for women and people of color. The things that the punks valued are dead because they're not for all of us. I'm not big on talking to strangers, but I surprise myself with how often I do in Asheville and how natural it feels. On one of my last days in Asheville, I meet this self-described farm pop band called Wrinkles from Missoula, Montana, who have organized their own tour across the U.S. and Canada. They're sleeping on friends or families or strangers' couches and traveling in their beat-up van named The Schnoodle Booper. They invite me to their show that night at Fleetwoods in West Asheville. Neon red light spills onto the sidewalk and feedback filters out into the night air. The concert hall is basically a garage. The bar also has a vintage shop and there's a giant coffin in the corner. Feedback and check one, check twos waft in from the music garage and I make my way inside. Quick, aggressive guitar riffs begin and the small but enthusiastic crowd starts bobbing and swaying. A dude skateboards, like, literally rides his board in through the open garage door. After Wrinkles is set, I join them in the bar. We start talking about the DIY scene in Missoula, living out of the van and printing their own music. They asked if I played music, and I said no, but I have all these ideas for different sounds I would want to make, but I just don't play any instruments. One of the band members shot back, you don't have to know, we didn't, just go make something. I think that as I spend more time in music scenes in LA and San Francisco, and as I absorbed more of other stories about their youth, I would often see and interpret my reality through that rosy, nostalgic lens. The anecdotes became litmus tests for how authentic or commodified or countercultural or not the things I got to witness and organize and create really were. I think back to shooting bands in high school and how that got me out of the suburbs 
and unlocked an entirely new world of creativity and community. Maybe I didn't rave in abandoned warehouses or see Nirvana in a Seattle basement, but I cried in front of a fresco in a church, and I baked sourdough bread, and I painted a mural of Chicken Jesus on someone's house in Asheville. For me, punk exists in the small acts. It's the outhouse my Asheville mom built that she dubbed the Cockadoodle Loo. It's the retired nuclear chemist I met at the farmer's market who now makes balsamic vinegar from the grapes he grows. It's Radfest. It's the schnoodlebooper. It's the fresco. Mark again. You know, I, I do think that, that obviously art and creativity is a place where you can find little glimmers of light, you know, mm-hmm. that, and, and, and connection with others that really, would, I would think, would matter now more than ever. Things are always weird. Things are always fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Things are always amazing. The all-ages venues and the iconoclastic bands are all temporal, never meant to last. It's called the subculture, implying that punk operates inside its own world, its own universe, separate from the mainstream. It should transcend those physical places and people, so when they disintegrate as they inevitably must, the spirit lives on in the universe created by these small, humble acts of the people who uphold those values. <laughs>